Are you a victim crippled by the minotaur in the labyrinth of your mind? Or will you fight your biggest challenges like Theseus and fulfill your potential? My name is Zulfakar and welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Now, my guest today is an entrepreneur, investor, and dealmaker with almost three decades of experience. He has worked on over 330 transactions worth over $48 billion in 17 different countries. Um, he has analyzed thousands of businesses, big and small, and is now on a mission to revolutionize the M&A arena. It is with great pleasure for me to introduce a personal mentor of mine, Carl Allen. Carl, thank you for being here and how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, buddy. Um, I know we've, uh, we, we've scheduled this a few times, so uh, no, it's, uh, it's awesome you, you know, to be with you uh, and talk about you know, deals. We can talk about 75 hard that you and I are both going through right now. We can talk about scaling businesses, selling businesses, buying businesses, uh, whatever you want. You've, uh, you've got my undivided attention. Brilliant. How can I serve your tribe? Well, first, let's just start with, you know, for those that don't know you, uh, just a quick history about yourself, both personally and professionally. Great. So I'm um, becoming an old guy now. I'm, I'm 50 this year. So um, I started as a deal maker in 1992, so left university. My, my first degree actually was it was in structural engineering. Uh, I became a structural engineer. I was really good at it. Was top of my class at uni. Worked for a really good engineering firm in Manchester. But my buddy, who was like, I thought he was stupid uh, with a far inferior degree. He got a job at, a, at an investment bank in London and, and he was, I was earning, this is 1992, as an engineer, I was earning £11,200 a year, right? My buddy who got, I think, a, and I got a first class honours degree in, in structural engineering. He got like a third class degree in, I don't know, basket weaving or something. <laughs> and he was earning 40 grand a year in an investment bank. And I thought, well, that's not fair. So I went to see him one weekend in London. He was living in Covent Garden and I was in the pub one Friday night with his boss and um, I, I just said to his boss, you know, how come you guys earn so much money? Anyway, the guy hired me on the spot. So I went to work for Bank of America as a, as a graduate trainee and you go through all the different rotations through the bank, all the different departments. And I ended up in the mergers and acquisitions department and I knew nothing about M&A. Um, and my, my first boss said, it's like buying and selling houses, but it's just a bit more involved. So that became my entry into the, the deal-making world. Uh, so as an investment banker, I worked on tons and tons of deals, uh, lots of them, you know, big hundreds of millions and billions of dollars uh, for companies like IBM, uh, Boeing, GE, uh, and laterly Microsoft. And then I left the, the bank, gosh, early 2000s, once the NASDAQ had crashed. I, I specialized in technology deals and industrial deals. Um, so I went to business school, I did an MBA, and then I had a, a brief stint uh, working for a private equity firm. And we'd invested in a software company, which we ended up selling to Hewlett Packard. And I ended up going to HP as one of their M&A directors, which was an awesome job to see how a massive company buys businesses, how they integrate their businesses, how they focus on things like culture and systems and all those things. So I had a great time at HP, did some monster deals. And then my life massively changed in 24 hours on, on the 1st of February, 2008. So I'm in Moscow in a boardroom closing a deal. We were buying a company in Russia and my phone rang and it's my wife. And she's ringing me like every... 60 seconds and I'm thinking well something's wrong so I answered the phone and she'd gone into labor with our son Josh um he was four five weeks early so I had to literally run out of the boardroom luckily I had my phone I had my wallet and I had my passport my passport's full of stickers you know I travel a lot <laughs> I used to before COVID so I ran out of the meeting I flagged down a, a cab got to the airport, 
flew home to England, police escort all the way to the hospital. And I got there about five minutes before my son was born. So my son was born and he was really tiny because he was four weeks early and I'm cradling this tiny little guy. And the nurses had put a hat on him. So I, I, I didn't know babies came with hats. They come with hats. So he's there in this little beanie hat and he's looking at me. Eyes burst into tears. It was, and I'm, I'm, you know, I got goosebumps on my arms telling you the story and I'm cradling this little guy and I'm really emotional. And I just thought, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I, 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 I'm going to quit. So I, um, I called my boss and I, and I quit. I, I walked away from a million dollars of options. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was all about my family at that point. I needed to be with them and support them. I'd not been around during the pregnancy. And to almost miss the birth of your son was the most gut-wrenching feeling. Uh, I felt so guilty. Mm-hmm. So I quit and I decided to retire. And I was 37 and it was way too young, but I did it anyway. And after about three weeks, I got really, really sick. I got mentally really poorly. Uh, I'd gone from 100 hours a week, hard charging, traveling all over the world. Uh, you know, It's a tough life as a corporate dealmaker, but I enjoyed it and I made a lot of money. But you know, I couldn't go to doing nothing. So I remember sitting down with Julia, my wife, and I said, look, you know, what am I going to do? She said, well, your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. She says, your biggest strength is you're one of the best in the world at buying and selling companies. Your biggest weakness is that's all you know how to do. So you've got to do that. And I thought, well, I don't want a boss. and I don't want to travel. Uh, I want to work for myself. So I thought, I'm going to become a business broker. So I set myself up, as you know, business brokers in the UK, it's an unregulated industry, anyone can do it. So I set myself up, uh, I went on LinkedIn and I, I got a client. So I got a transportation company in Liverpool, uh, about three million pounds in turnover, very profitable, two brothers that owned it and they wanted to retire. So I went in and they said, look, go find us a buyer for this business. So I did. I, I, I did my thing. I found four or five interested parties, had a bit of an auction, got the highest bid and anyway, pushing through on the deal. So this went on for about three months. As you know, it takes about three months to, to buy a business. So after about three months, it's the day before closing, right? So it's Thursday night and it's pouring down with rain and I'm in my, I'm in my home office, not, I'm in my study now at home, uh, but in my, in my last house. So I'm in my home office because uh, I work from home then, and uh, I'm just going through all the um, all the kind of legal docs, just getting everything tied together. And as you know, business brokers make most of their money on the back end when the deal actually happens. So I was going to get about a two hundred thousand pound fee for this deal. So it's a lot of money, and I've worked on this deal for ninety days, pretty much full time. And, and it, was a, it was about six o'clock and the phone rings and, and it's one of the owners, it's Colin. He's it's like, we're pulling the deal. I'm like, no, can't pull the deal. Um, I got 200 grand riding on this, but you know, you were so positive about these, these new owners. He said, well, we're pulling it, come down and we'll tell you, we want to meet you now. So I went down and I, I walked into the, uh, so this was a transport company with a massive warehouse. So they did a lot of warehousing and stuff as well. So I goes into the warehouse, it's huge. And all the people in the business are in the warehouse. There's about 50 people, all the drivers, all the warehouse people, all the admin people, everyone's in in the warehouse. And the two brothers are at the front. And and Colin said to me, he said, look, we're pulling the deal because the new owners, they were a large, um, large transport company, about 50 million pound turnover. They're going, to, they're going to rip the company apart tomorrow. They're going to change the name. They're going to fire everybody. All they want, they want the warehouse. They want the trucks and they want the customers. They don't want any of the staff. Uh, and we can't take all that money and retire and sit on a beach knowing that um, we're going to be putting these people in harm's way. They're not going to be able to pay their mortgages, feed their families. And, you know, we've worked out that we'd, we'd end up giving half of the money away to, you know, take care of these people. So, they said, go find a buyer that maybe it's not a business, maybe it's an individual. Go find somebody that will buy this business and will cherish it and will protect it. And they can't fire anybody, they can't change the name, and they can't disrupt what we've built over the last 30 years. 
And I looked at them and I, all these people are looking at me, all these people in the business, they're all staring at me. And, and, and I looked at the guy and, and I don't know what came over me, right? One of those moments in life, something triggered in my brain. And I looked him square in the eyes and I said, I'll buy the business. And he, went, and he started laughing at me. He's like, what? What are you talking about? You don't know anything about this industry. I said, well, I've been working with you for 90 days. I know exactly how your business works. I know everything about the competition. I know everything about how to scale it. Um, I know everything. I said, you know, I can't pay you anywhere near what they were going to pay you. So I'd done the numbers in my head. And I, I said, I can pay you X. I can pay you half of the money at completion uh, because I'm going to finance the building, the trucks. And there was a ton of surplus cash in the business. I'll give you all that. And then the rest of the money, I'll give you a profit split over the next three years it's called an air now so whatever profit we make over the next three years i'll give you uh half of that money uh, and if i don't pay you that money um you can just have the business back and i and then i pointed at the sales manager i pointed at the financial controller and i pointed at the operations manager and i said i'm going to give those three people 10 percent of the company and we'll run it as a team and Colin looked at me and he said, if you can, I'll give you 30 days. If you can pull that off in 30 days, then you've got a deal. And everyone's cheering and clapping. And there's this big guy, can't remember his name. He was, he's about six foot seven, big trucker, comes over to me, lifts me up and <laughs> kind of carrying me around the warehouse. I was like the savior. So I got in my car and I drove home and I just thought, you know, what the hell have you done? Why on earth are you going to do something like that? And I got home and my wife said, well, that's never going to work. <laughs> what a crazy thing to do you better call him back right now and i thought well no so the following morning i called my bank so i called my bank and i said look i need to raise some money against this business here are the assets i had all the data because i've been running the deal um and within 24 hours they gave me uh, a term sheet uh which covered the closing payment plus fees plus some working capital um so then I called up uh, a lawyer friend of mine and said, hey, I need you to do the, do the paperwork on this deal. Then I called my accountant and said, I need you to do some due diligence. I ain't going to pay you guys until this thing closes. So, but here's my term sheet, you know, here's my deal. And about 25 days later, we closed. So I was my first deal, my first business I bought. Um, and since then, so that was late 2008, since then, I've, I've been buying and selling businesses, not just in the UK. Uh, I've bought and sold companies in Australia. I've bought and sold companies in the United States. I own a private equity fund in the US called Prox Capital Group with my, my business partner, Adam Markley. And then about five years ago, so late 2015, early 2016, I started getting inundated with people wanting me to teach them how to do what I do. How do I do business? So how do I buy businesses one to 10 million pounds in turnover? How do I buy those businesses and how do I structure those deals without necessarily a having to invest my own money or B without ever having operated or owned a business in that sector. Um, and obviously my knowledge had come from 20 years of doing it on, on Wall Street. And whether you're buying a billion dollar company or a two million pound company, the process is exactly the same. The only difference is seller psychology. So once you understand the psychology of a small business owner and what their motivations are for wanting to sell a business, then the, the technical mechanical process is, is, is pretty straightforward. So I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to go to hotels and do it like my, my good friend, Jeremy Harbour, uh, who runs the Harbour Club. And, you know, I, and I was fascinated at the time about online businesses. So one of my friends uh, that I used to go to the gym with, uh, this was, um, you know, 2015, 2016. One of my buddies in the gym was, was killing it as an internet marketer. So he, he was selling products and services online through Facebook ads and YouTube ads and delivering his content 
through like a ClickFunnels solution. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if I put all of my knowledge and all of my experience of doing these deals with all of my case studies and all of my finance contacts and business broker sites and all the stuff you'd need to know and learn, the skills and tools you'd need to master to be able to buy a business without using your own money. So I put it in a program, um, which was called the Business Buying Accelerator. And now we've got over five and a half thousand people um, in that training program all over the world, primarily in the UK and the US, but we've got people in pretty much every country. And they're often, and they're doing deals. And then as you know, we have the Dealmaker Academy, um, which is where we do group coaching. So we're, we're reviewing deals every week. Uh, there's, there's a call today, as you know, because you're on it. Um, and, um, and that's great. So I guess where, where I am in my life is uh, I've got two kind of two major things that I do. So I, I co-own a private equity firm. So we're buying and growing and selling businesses. Uh, so I eat my own cooking. I don't just teach this stuff. I do this stuff every single day and I own multiple businesses in, in various different countries. But then, so that's great for wealth creation and that's great for freedom. But, but for me, what I love more than anything is coaching. I love coaching people. I love sharing my secrets. I love sharing my systems. Um, and the biggest kick I get out of it is, is when I see people change their lives and go from, you know, a stuck, tired employee working for somebody else to having the freedom of, of becoming a, a business owner and having something that they can be really, really proud about. And, you know, a lot of people do this for money, and that's fine. You know, it is hard work, as you know. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a get-rich-slow scheme. It takes patience and dedication and mastery. But um, you can make a lot of money, but it's nice when I see people doing it for other reasons like work-life balance, freedom, pride, and in some cases, building generational wealth, uh, which then allows you to, uh, to build a legacy. So that's what, that's what I do. Brilliant. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, um, so many different talking points in there. But let's start from basically your transition from being an employee to becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. Because for me personally, that's been the most difficult thing. Um, and a lot of people that are employees that are thinking about buying a business. Uh, I'm pretty certain that, you know, one of the biggest things that they're going to uh, have to, or the biggest challenge that they're going to have to go through is the mindset of being an employee to being an entrepreneur. So when you first started specifically about your mindset, I mean, what fears and doubts did you have? Um, and, and what did you do to overcome them? Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so just tell us about that transition when you first got into entrepreneurship. Yeah, so so I I, I wasn't a typical employee right. moving into entrepreneurship okay. because um, having been a Wall Street guy and a corporate M and A guy, um, I'd I, I'd made a lot of money in my life and I'd saved really. You know, I'm from Lancashire, a um, bit like Yorkshire. We don't like spending money. Um, we're in, you know, I like investing money. But I don't like spending it. So I'd saved really, really well. And my, you know, my wife's a Lancastrian as well. And she's of the same mindset for me. So I, I, I didn't have to work again. I, I was financially free, but I needed something to stimulate my brain. So I didn't have that financial pressure that a lot of people normally have when they quit a well-paid job and go into the unknown. So I didn't have that. Um, I guess for me though, I, so I didn't have any fears. Uh, I didn't have any doubts. It, it, it was kind of, I felt unleashed because right. what was powering me in my mindset. So my mindset at the time was, you know, I, I've neglected my family. I've been not a great husband. Um, I've just got a newborn baby. I want to be the best husband and the best father that I can possibly be. And my corporate job was getting in the way. So for me, it was a simple shift that if I go to become an entrepreneur, I thought even if I don't make any money, um, I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to have a work-life balance. I'm going to be able to do all the things I love and I enjoy with my family. I'm not going to be playing to the tune of somebody else. Like It was crazy. So when, when you're a corporate M&A guy, you, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, right? This, seriously, I'd wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. I'd turn on my phone. 
And I'd, I'd have a message from the States saying, you know, we need you in Denver at 4 p.m. local time. The flight's booked. Um, you know, we sent the driver. I'd look out the window and the freaking guy's outside the house. And I've got five minutes to shower, pack, get my passport and get my ass in that car because I'm on a plane in two hours. And it's like, you know, I hated that. And people, some people think, you know what, that, that sounds so glamorous. You're flying business class to the US and no, it's horrible, man. I, I once went to and from the UK to the US three times in seven days. Wow. Wow. I once flew to the US for a meeting, flew back overnight. And then when I arrived at the airport and turned on my phone, uh, they booked me on the flight going back because I had to go back for another meeting. It was horrible and it was awful. And so I didn't really have any fear, uncertainty and doubt about it. It, it was I needed to do it because my, my purpose and my leverage over myself was I wasn't going to let my family down. I needed to um, focus on them uh, and not on, 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 my, on my career. But I knew I could do something really cool um, whilst ticking all the family boxes. So um, what, what I've seen, though, with obviously I, I've touched thousands and thousands and thousands of people that, that, that come in to, uh, to all of our different coaching programs. And obviously, uh, one of the biggest fears if they're working full time is, um, you know, can I risk giving all that up to, to go and buy a business? And the good news is you don't have to because uh, mm -hmm. you can do it part time. The way I designed all my training programs, as you know, because you've gone through them, is um, you can do them in, in you know, five to 10 hours per week, depending on how fast you want to go, which means you can still have a job and earn the money you need. You can still be with your family or do whatever you want to do. And then once you go and buy a business, once that's generating the cash flow per month that you get as the owner, once that is more than what you're making as an employee, then you can switch. You don't have to take the risks and, and do it before. Brilliant. Okay, so let's just teach that point. So why is acquisition so powerful? Um, and, and why is it more powerful than any traditional, you know, maybe starting a business or any other yeah. business model, uh, both in terms of somebody who's, who's never run a business before, but also for businesses looking to scale, why is acquisitions probably the most powerful strategy for them to use? Yeah, so that's a great question. So let, let's break it down into the two types. So let, let's first talk about um, first-time business owners, then we'll talk about existing businesses. So for first-time business owners, um, you know, a, a lot of people get the urge to, um, you know, to quit the corporate life and, and go do something for themselves. Obviously, you know, being an entrepreneur, it's a buzzword. Um, I don't think people realize you know, how difficult it can be at times, but you know, it's a sexy thing. A lot of people want to do it. Um, I, I, I don't have any solid UK data, but in the States, last year, 2019, 6.6 .6 million Americans started a brand new business. Right. Okay. And 96% of those people will fail right. inside of 10 years. 50%. So 3.3 million of those people will crash and burn and fail inside of just one year. And, and the reason is, the, the, there's two reasons. The first one is, it's what I call the no problem. So when you start a brand new business, you, you have no employees, no products or services, no cash, no credit, no premises, no equipment, no customers, no reputation. So it's really, really, really tough to start from zero. Um, whereas if you buy an existing business, it's got all of those different things. It's got cash flow. It's got employees. And even if you want to innovate something that the market doesn't have, go and buy a business that's similar, and then you can innovate whatever you want to do from within that business. It will be paying you cash flow while you do it. You'll have employees that will help you do it. And then once you've done it, you've already got customers that are probably going to buy it. So uh, buying versus starting is, is, is really straightforward. One of the other reasons why a lot of startups fail is people go into business because they're very, very good at the technical aspects of the business. So if you're a really, really good cook, you open a restaurant. Mm -hmm. If you're a really, really good web designer, you go open a web design business. Uh, and that's great, but you still don't have the skills and tools that you need 
to run a business. Running a business is very, very different. It's a different skill completely to what the business does. So it's all about the sales, the marketing, the financial accountabilities, the leadership, the strategic work that you need to do, understanding supply chains and, and operations and, and all of those different things, understanding cash flow and cash flow management and, and being able to read your numbers so you know what you're doing and being able to make changes if you need to. Um, and, you know, unless you've got an MBA, yeah, they teach you that stuff when you're doing an MBA, but not, not really, uh, if I'm being honest. So what's, you know, trying to do that from nothing is, is impossible. If you go and buy an existing business, um, it has all of that stuff already included. And the owner of the business that's selling it to you they will train you on how their business works. They will show you their processes. They will show you their systems. Um, and then once you buy that business, you don't have to operate it. it, it if you want to run the business yourself, fine. There's, there's no right or wrong answer. But for me, I don't work in any of my businesses. I, I have general managers or, or managing directors that are running my businesses for me. Um, they're incentivized. I give them equity. I pay them very well. Um, but you know, they have the free reign to run that business based on the strategic vision that me and that person have, have effectively agreed. And then I'm just remote managing that business, um, sometimes on a daily basis, but generally on a weekly basis. Okay. That's, that's the, uh, you know, individuals know all about and then with existing business owners. So let, let's say you started a business and let's say you're in the 4% that have made it. So 96% fail, 4% succeed. So you're in that 4%. And let's say you start a business and it takes you five years to get to a million pounds in turnover, right? Bearing in mind only 1% of businesses, 1%, ever get to a million pounds in turnover. In the online space, in the digital space, it's 1.2%. So generally, 1% of businesses get to a million, 99% either fail or, or you know, stay in six figures. So if it's taken you five years to get to a million pounds in turnover, it might take you another three years to get to two million. Um, if you buy another business that's doing a million pounds, you can get to 2 million in, in 30 to 45 days. Oh, okay. All you're doing is buying another business and bolting it in to what you've already got. You can buy a competitor. So you're doubling down on your market share. You could buy inside of your supply chain. If you're an engineering company and um, a third of your gross profit has been spent on a supplier, go buy them, go buy that supplier. You know, if you're making components for an airplane and you're buying in lots of other components from one company, go, go and acquire it. And then you're locking that profit back into your company. Plus they've got their own customers that you can keep working with as well. Or what you can do is you can buy in a complementary industry. So if you're a, if you're a software company and you've got software and customers, if you went and bought say an IT services company, they have IT services and their own customers. You can sell the services to your existing software customers. You can sell your software to the new services customers you just acquired. So you get this big cross-sell of revenue or turnover um, at a much smaller cost base. Because when you stick those two businesses together, a lot of those costs, those duplicate costs, you can get rid of. Like, um, like overhead and cost of sales and and you know, cost of buildings and travel and marketing and IT and finance and all those different things. So um, you can scale not only the size of your business. Remember, you know, turnover is vanity, but profit is sanity and cash flow is, is reality. Cash flow in the bank is reality. So by building those two together, you're, it's like a one plus one equals two and a half on the turnover side, but it's a one plus one equals maybe four or five on the, on the profit side. So, um, so acquiring to scale an existing business is much, much easier than hustling and trying to grow organically. And that's what all the big guys do. That's the job I had at HP. You look at, um, you look at Amazon, you know, the number of businesses they're acquiring um, every single month. 
to move their needle and give them expertise and, and customer segments that, you know, frankly, they don't have and they don't have the time to go and figure out how to do that themselves. They'll just go and buy somebody. You know, they got, I think, $100 billion in the bank. So go spend that money and, uh, and, and, and buy in those, uh, those skills. Yeah, I'm glad you, you mentioned that point because, you know, one of the biggest, I hear this a lot and it's something that obviously has been in my head a lot. When you think about deal making and buying businesses, you typically think this is for the big boys, the big corporations, the Wall Street guys. Yeah. Well, can anybody really do it? Is it for anybody? Uh, and does it work with the smaller stuff? Um, and, and then what would you say, you know, what is the number one skill you would need to get it done? Yeah, so absolutely, it, it works in any sector, in any size of, of, of deal. Bearing in mind, 90, 99.9% of all businesses are sub 10 million pounds in turnover. Um, yeah, you've got, you've got the big guys that are doing deals. That's where I'm from. Um, M&A in the small market is slightly different. The process is the same. But when you're doing small deals, it's a lot more about the seller psychology than it is about the numbers. So when you're HP and you're paying four and a half billion dollars for a software company, which we did once called Mercury, that deals all about financial engineering. When you're buying a two million pound or three million pound transport company from two owners that want to retire, but are really afraid that the buyer is going to destroy their business, it's less about the money. It's more about the psychology. So you have to understand that. Um, and in, in any negotiation, it doesn't matter whether it's in selling or, or whether it's in life or whether it's in deal making, in buying businesses, you know, the golden rule is to just, you know, figure out what the other side wants and just give it to them. And often it's not all about the money that they, you know, they might want some money, but you could have a, a small business owner that doesn't have the funds to retire, owns a small business. You know, there's millions of businesses for sale and only about one in 11 sell within the first 12 months. So you've got an owner chained to their business, frustrated, burnt out, tired. They could be sick, could be dying in some cases. Uh, not just them, could be a family member as well. They're really fed up and they're really trapped. They can't shut the business down because they need their monthly salary to live. So they, in some cases, that person will sell you their business and you just pay them over time. It, it's called seller financing in the US, vendor financing in Australia, or deferred consideration. We, we have fancier terms in England. Deferred consideration in the UK, which basically means that if you're buying a business for a million pounds, um, let's say it's doing £400,000 a year of profit and you're buying that business for a 2.5 times multiple, which is about the average. Um, so you're paying a million pounds for that business. It's doing four hundred grand a year in profit. Just pay the seller two hundred grand a year for five years. Uh, so you get two hundred grand a year because you now own the business, even if you don't grow it, and the seller gets the two hundred grand a year times five, that's the seller cashed out for a million pounds. So there's a lot that goes into this, obviously. There's a bit of financial understanding and deal structuring. Uh, there's a little bit of project management that you need to master because you, you, know, you won't do the due diligence or the legals uh, or even necessarily raise the financing. You can use people to do all that for you. So you've got to project manage them. Uh, there's obviously you know, deal origination that you've got to do. You've got to go out and find deals. That's more of a sales and marketing skill set. It's very easy once you know how to do it. Um, but the, the, the kind of the three skills that I would say you really need to learn and master in this is the first one is, is really understanding mindset. So the first thing is understanding your own mindset and then how to understand really what's going on for, you know, for the seller. So you can position a deal that's going to perfectly align you know, to what they want and what their issues are. And in terms of your own mindset, that really boils down to you know, it's very easy for somebody to determine what type of business they want to buy. I always advocate stay in your lane, stay in a sector you know and you understand, um, because it just makes it a lot easier. So if you're if you're an engineer, you know, go buy an engineering company. Don't buy a, a petrol station or a laundromat or a hotel. Go and buy something that 
you know something about. Because once you bought the business, you know, you want to be able to add value to it, to grow it, and then sell it one day and, and make a lot of money. So the most important question, though, that a deal maker needs to ask themselves is why? Why do I want to buy a business? And, you know, the really funny thing is nobody wants to buy a business. Nobody wants to own a business. What we want as deal makers are the benefits. What are the deep emotional benefits that we will get from becoming a business owner? And that's different for everybody. For me, it's legacy. It's freedom. It's pride. It's assurance. For others, it's wealth creation, generational wealth creation. It's cash flow so they can, um, you know, just enjoy a better quality of life. You know, money's just a tool, yeah? Uh, Money, if you've got problems, money will make it worse. If you've got a great life, money will make it better. Money's just a tool to do different things, to spend on your family, on yourself, on your community, give to charity, you know, whatever. Um, So this isn't all just about money. It's about the other things. Being able to work when you want, where you want, being able to go on vacation when you want because you're not beholding to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the really powerful things. And once you dial that in and you really understand, you know, why I actually want to do this, that gives your kind of heart and your mind a lot of fuel to kind of have you follow through and, and master a lot of these principles. Because as I said before, this is not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, this takes time, it takes effort, it takes patience, and it takes a level of mastery. And sure, we've got all the training and coaching programs one would need to do that, mm-hmm. but you don't really have the purpose to do it. All the training in the world's not going to help you. You can, you can go through the training program a hundred times, you'll get really smart at it, but unless you start taking action and getting mm-hmm. things done calling sellers, calling brokers, making offers, getting information, building relationships. That is really important. So mindset's number one. The second one, I just touched on it. This is a relationship business. When, you know, when you're a Wall Street guy and you're doing you know, billion-dollar deals every day, yeah, it's about relationships, but, but it's a lot more about that kind of financial kind of engineering process. It's really easy when you're at HP to buy businesses because I don't know what they're doing now, but back in the day, you know, 13, 14 years ago, they had tens of billions of dollars on their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. They had tons and tons of stock or shares that they could use. So when you're buying a business, you're just using your own share price. It's, It's phenomenal, the rocket fuel they have. But in the small business arena, it's all about relationships. You gotta build relationships first with the seller, because remember, this is somebody that they might have owned that business for 25, 30 years, and they might have spent more time in that business than they have with their own family. And to sell it and retire, it's like giving away one of the children. You know, I, it, it's, it's awful. So understanding what they're going through and, and you, know, being a, I think, you know, being a friend as well as buying their business makes a huge difference difference. So the ability to master relationships with a seller, with brokers, with financiers, with lawyers and accountants that you also need to work with, with, with uh, other people as well that you might bring into the deal partners. You know, if you're, if you want to buy a business that you don't know a lot about that industry, it'd be crazy if you'd attempt it on your own, you know, go on LinkedIn, find an angel investor or a partner that really knows that space and, and do the deal together. And, own the business 50-50. So the the way to build relationships and build rapport and get people to know you, like you, and trust you in this industry is is a really, really important skill. And then the third skill is, and this is a weird one, but I'll say anyway, you need to master the ability to listen. And what I mean by that is some deal makers, rookie deal makers, they'll pile into a call with a seller or they'll pile into a meeting and all they do for an hour is they talk about themselves. And you've got to do a little bit of that because you've got to get the guy to or the lady to like you and know you and trust you. Mm-hmm. But really, it's all about listening. Um, you, you've read the book, Never Split the Difference, yeah? Chris Voss. I haven't read that one. It's on my list. I haven't read that one. No. Yeah. My go-to, but my go-to book. Uh, I have like 10 copies of this all <laughs> over the place. 
um, in, in my offices, all over the place. I had this book. One of the best books I've ever, I've ever read. So Chris Voss used to be the lead FBI hostage negotiator. And that book, which you can apply in business, it teaches you how to negotiate and how to get what you want in an ethical way. And one of the key takeaways from that book is you need to listen two to three times more than you actually speak. Because if you ask open-ended questions to sellers and you listen to them in detail, you'll get clues as to what's going on. And then you can map your deal to exactly what their requirements are. Very, very powerful. So just to recap, understanding mindset, your own and the sellers, um, really mastering the skill of building relationships. And then three, you know, understanding negotiation and really learning how to, how to listen to people. Everything else is easy. Numbers, you know, we give you all that stuff. Finding deals, you know, there's millions of them. Um, you, you know, understanding what the business is doing. Again, if you stay in your own industry, it just becomes a lot easier. Uh, like someone like you, you know, you used to be a lawyer. You go by a law firm. You understand the industry. You know how people think and work and act. You know how to get customers in that world. You know, why would you then go and buy a restaurant? <laughs> you know nothing about a restaurant. Or would, why would you go and buy a web design company if you've never you know, done anything like that? So uh, staying in your lane is... Well, actually, uh, let's just stick on that point because, yes, I am a lawyer. And, and the reason why I don't want to buy a law firm is because I've literally hated my career as a lawyer and I don't want to you know, go forward in, in, in this uh, field. So... If I want to go into a different field and I'm, I'm going out of my lane and, and I'm, I'm sure there's lots of people like that out there, what would be the best thing for us to do in, in that situation where we're going into completely yeah. different fields? Yeah, sure. So before I answer that, let me just say to you, though, you can buy a law firm and never have to work inside of it. Okay. Right. You, you can just own a law firm and not have to deal with the politics and, mm -hmm. and the stuff that, that law firms generate. You, you then just become the business owner. Yeah. Um, so you're just dealing with the strategic part of the business. How do we grow it? Mm. How do we make more money? Do we, do we consolidate three or four other smaller practices and make a bigger one? You're not the guy driving the bus. Mm -hmm. You're the guy with the map yeah. that's okay. directing the driver. Let, the, let, let somebody else drive that bus and deal with all that stuff. You don't have to do that. However, if, um, if the thought of even getting anywhere near that drives you nuts, then yeah, to get into an industry that you don't know anything about, um, I, I, would, I would say the very, very least, buddy, you need to have passion for it. Yeah, don't, uh, if you want to buy a business in an area that you don't know, at least it's got to be something that you're super passionate about. So one, uh, one of your fellow academy students, um, he's an IBM sales guy, right. very good IBM sales guy. And he wants uh, not to buy an IT company, which would make absolutely perfect sense. Um, you know, people know you from IBM; they're going to want to they're going to want to talk to you. But he doesn't. He wants to get out of the industry. He's like you; is sick of it. He wants to buy a vineyard because he loves wine. He's been on some wine tasting courses. He's really, really into fine wines. So wants to buy a vineyard in Napa Valley. And there's tons and tons of them for sale because they're all owned by baby boomers um, and they want to retire. So loads of them available and you can finance those types of businesses as well. But I said to him, you know, why on earth do you want to buy a vineyard? You know nothing about the wine industry. You know how to drink it, but do you know how to grow it? Do you know how to ferment it? Do you know how to bottle it? Do you know how to market it? Do you know, do you understand all that different stuff about running that business? No. So why would you want to buy a business if you don't understand anything about it? He said, yeah, you've you got a point there. I said, well, if you really want to do it, though, just go and partner with somebody that knows all those different things. Um, you know, go, either go find a vineyard that's got a GM inside of it that will stay and run it for you, uh, or go on LinkedIn, go and find a, a, a vineyard-type person that will help you do that deal and will help you run and grow that business once you've acquired it. Um, so, so for you, what you need to do is, is pick a sector 
that you can be really passionate about because that's going to give you a lot of fuel mm -hmm. to follow through and get it done and take action. But then just go and complement that with uh, somebody that really understands the inner workings of that particular sector. And then you're like a dream team them, aren't you? You can run the deal. You've got the passion for making it done. You've got all the energy and focus. Mm -hmm. And then your deal partner, uh, they've got, you know, the, the kind of the industry experience and the contacts that will A, add value to the deal and B, will add value to the business. So that's what I would do. Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, stick to that point. Well, similar to that point. So I obviously speak to a lot of, of, of millennials and um, they love this idea of, of buying businesses. Um, but two things um, come up. So first thing is they lack the obviously mindset and the self-esteem. So they've got self-esteem issues. Um, and, and secondly, um, they, they, they prefer to collaborate rather than do things by themselves. So they don't want to be a solo owner. They want to collaborate with other people and, and not that they've got this idea i mean i've got this idea as well but for whatever reason we've got this idea of that we want to you know change the world and do something massive so how viable would something like this be where in, instead of you know everyone buying one business for themselves how viable would it be to get a 50 100 like-minded people together go out and buy one business each and then bring it in to create a behemoth corporation that can then go on to you know create massive social impact and social change uh, how how viable is that and what, what would the structure of something like that look like so i think that's a really good idea uh because i think then by combining a group of people let, let, let's just take 10 people yep. uh, let's say you get 10 people they're all from different industry backgrounds. They're all, they've all got different skills. They've all got different experiences. They're all different ages. Melding that together is, uh, is really, really powerful. So as an idea, it's a really good idea. Where something like that would probably break down, in my opinion, is on the implementation. Mm -hmm. Because you're dealing with 10 people or 50 people or 100 people, all with different outcomes. Mm -hmm. They've all got different desires. They've all got different requirements. Um, you might be all about legacy. Mm -hmm. The other guy might be all about wealth creation. The yeah. third guy might be about work-life balance. People like you and me, we work hard. We're super focused. We're hungry. Other people are lazy mm -hmm. um, and won't have your work ethic or won't have our ability to kind of follow through and get mm -hmm. things done. And that's going to create conflict. Yeah. So whilst it's a great idea yeah. strategically, coming to implement something like that, I think would be really fraught with, 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 with danger. I, I would start with just two people. Okay. Um, I would start with just two people. And then, you know, when you really scale it up to say, you know, even 10, even 10 or 20, and you all go out and you buy a business, um, integrating all that together, Mm -hmm. would only really make sense if it was in a kind of similar industry. Yeah. So let's say you all went and bought a technology business or you all went and bought a professional services business, then combining it together and creating a group would be really powerful, but it wouldn't work if you did it all at once. So let's say you and nine other people all went out and bought either an accountancy firm, a law firm, a marketing agency, a PR firm, anything in professional services, B2B, so 90 days later, you're all there with your businesses and then you put them all together, the thing will just blow up. It, it won't work. You've mm -hmm. got to do it incrementally. Incrementally. You buy the first business and then you think, right, what can we bolt in? And then you do it again and you do it again. So it's, it's like building a house. You start with the, you dig the ground, you build the foundations, yeah. you build the first bit of the wall, you put the floor in, you build the next, put the floor in, then the roof and... You know, if you try and you try and do it all together, it's not going to work. Uh, but um, interesting idea. I can't stick to that. So uh, obviously we've touched upon mindset, but if, if people are specifically struggling with self-esteem issues, what else can they do to build that other than learning about deal making? Um, what I mean, what would you suggest they, they do? Yeah. To build so, so I I work on my mindset every single day. You know, you and I are doing seventy-five hard right yeah. now. 
Uh, I'm on day 27. I think you're on day 15, you told me. Uh, that there's an awful lot for one's self-esteem and one's confidence and one's you know, power and fulfillment. Uh, you and I are bad asses anyway. We're just doing this for a little bit of fun and it's really good. But you know, there's been times in my life when, you know, I've not felt super confident about stuff and I've just worked on my own personal development. I've worked on my own mindset. You know, I've meditated. I've read a lot of books. I've, I've had some great mentors, people like um, Tony Robbins, you know, Shannon Irvin, people that have really helped me understand who I am, how, why I'm getting in my own way and, and building that, you know, building those muscles of mindset, you know, to overcome all these different things, you know, there's a couple of things I've done at Tony Robbins events, which take fear completely out of your vocabulary. One of the things I did uh, three years ago is, is walked on fire. And it's like, I, I'm, I went to unleash the power within in London, Tony Robbins, my first event, and I'm going down on the train and I'm reading the information about the, uh, the experience. And I'm thinking, well, you know, you're doing all this, you're doing all this. Oh, and you do a fire walk. You, you take your shoes and socks off and you walk 20 feet across 2000 degree burning coals. And this isn't like a visual thing. Mm -hmm. This stuff's freaking burning. It smells, you can feel the heat from miles away. And I'm thinking, well, well, I ain't going to do that because you, you know, I won't be able to walk the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so you get into the event and he takes you on a journey of, being resilient and eliminating fear and walking across that fire is a metaphor. It's not about walking on fire. It's about knowing that once you do something in your life that 30 seconds before you thought was completely impossible, once you achieve that and you walk across completely unscathed, and I've, I've done it four times now. Uh, I've even done it with my kids. It's amazing. Um, once you go through that, it just totally rewires in your brain the word fear like, I, I don't even know what that word means anymore i, I don't fear anything because right. confronted with something i've walked across fire i've climbed up trees and jumped off the top all these crazy stuff that he has you do it's not about walking on fire or climbing trees or you know punching through planks of wood like let me show you this so tony robbins leadership mastery this is a really, really heavy piece of wood. Oh. And in that event, what he does is on the back of it, it has you write down some limiting beliefs that you right. have. Okay. And then he has you put a big extra. And then on the other side, he has you write down who do you want to be. So mine, so I've written the names of my wife, my two boys, and my parents who are sadly no longer with us. And then I've written down, I'm a badass leader. I'm unstoppable and I'm full of energy and joy. And then what they do is this dude holds it up and you have got to literally punch through. <laughs> okay. Right. And this, this stuff's hard. Yeah. I just did that then. And that hurt my knuckle when I did that, but breaking through that with one punch, when you're in a peak state, you don't even feel it. It's like punching through ice cream. Okay. Right? <laughs> Boom. And literally like doing stuff like that, tells you that fear is, is just a, a, a BS story that you're telling yourself. Brilliant. Uh, you know, feel the fear and just do it anyway. What have you got to lose? Brilliant. So, um, so obviously people you know, can't go to Tony Robbins events at the moment, but you know, read his books, you know, follow him on YouTube and Facebook. There's tons of free stuff out there mm -hmm. um, just to help you really understand who you are and then just how to get out of your own way. Brilliant, absolutely love it. So just uh, before we wrap up, so just quickly, um, there's obviously more and more business buying programs coming out there and, and they're getting quite a lot of criticism that you're not really being fair to the sellers, you're manipulating their, their, you know, their situation that they're struggling to sell. Um, how, how would you answer those critics and, 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 and yeah, what, what would your response be to that? Yeah, so I, I think it's a really interesting industry this now. You know, there's a lot of um, gurus and mentors so-called out there you know teaching this stuff um some of them i vouch for because i trained them personally okay. they were some of the early adopters of my program i i created this market about five years ago i was the right. first person ever to teach this stuff online um some of my students that have been successful 
uh, have set up and they're doing this, which is great because they've obviously taken my process, but they've put their own um, mark on it. They've put their own flair on it and they've got their own deals and their own success to back that up. Uh, you know, so people like Ken Mack, um, who's a really good friend of mine, you know, he's done a lot of really, really good deals. Uh, there are some others, however, um, that are doing this and, you know, they've, they've never closed a deal. Uh, they've never been through the process. So if you've never gone through the process, I think it's really hard in life. To, it's really hard in life to teach somebody something that you've never personally done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think there are a lot of people that, you know, that, that are doing that, but, um, you know, good, good luck to them. I, I just think that's unethical. Back to your question about, you know, are we being truly unfair, you know, to sellers? Um, I don't believe we are. I don't believe we are. You know, we always strive in our deals to create a win-win scenario. Because uh, as I mentioned before, uh, when I bought that transport company, the owners got half of what they would have got if they would have sold to a trade buyer. But if they'd have sold their business to a trade buyer, who would have ripped that business apart within 24 hours and destroyed 25 years of, of blood, sweat, and tears. I think that is so painful for a lot of sellers that uh, they want a safer option. A lot of sellers, about 80% of sellers, particularly older sellers, they want that safe, trusted pair of hands uh, to come on board. And, and clearly, as individuals, you know, we're going to offer less money than a trade buyer. A trade buyer can pay more money because they've obviously got deeper pockets and they've got all of those synergies that we talked about before. They can cross-sell their products and services. They, they can take a lot of cost out of, uh, out of combining two businesses. So they can afford to pay a lot more because even if they don't have the money themselves, they can raise it through their bank or investors who will back them in that explosive growth scenario. Um, so it all depends on the seller, what they actually want. The, the, you know what the number one exit strategy is for small business owners in the UK and the US? It's to close the doors and turn off the lights. Only one in 11 businesses will sell within the first 12 months. So if you're highly motivated to get out of your business, if you can't stand being in that business anymore, even though it's a good business and you want to leave, if no one's going to buy it, you'll just close it down. And in a lot of cases, it costs, it can cost a seller money to shut down a business mm-hmm. unless they go bankrupt, which they don't want because then they got to go to the golf club or the pub and say to their buddies, yeah, you know, I just shut my business down. Mm-hmm. Um, it, even in, in some cases, in some cases, they could give you that business for nothing and be better off versus closing it down. Because if they close it down, mm-hmm. uh, they've got to liquidate their balance sheet. So they won't get selling their assets in a fire sale. You know, they're not going to get 100 pence in the pound. But all of their liabilities, tax, um, creditors, uh, bank loans, leases, all that stuff, you know, you've still got to pay all that money back. Otherwise, those companies will, will go after you legally. So in a lot of cases, when you liquidate a business, it costs you money as an owner to do it. So by selling your business in a creative way, either giving it away or having it on deferred payments or having a little bit of the money up front through financing um, can often be a a win-win scenario. So I absolutely don't believe that we are uh, manipulating sellers. Uh, We're giving them what they want which is to move on, retire, or do something else with their life because they don't want to be in their business anymore. If somebody doesn't want to be in their business anymore and they can't sell it, Mm -hmm. um, we're we're, we're adding massive value to them. Yeah, brilliant. Because just to finish off then, um, if you just want to tell us a little bit more about your programs and and how can people find out more information and, and maybe just as part of talking about your program, could you share a very quick success story of, of one of your students? Yeah. So in terms of the pro, so we, we got a whole range and portfolio of different products and services, you know, you, you know, because you, you have some of them. Um, what I would suggest though, is um, for somebody that's curious about this, they thought, you know what, this guy's talking a little bit of sense. Uh, I really understand where he's coming from. I, either, you know, I want to buy my first business or I own a business already and, uh, and, and I want to go and do something else. 
then what I would suggest is the first port of call is go, go read my book. So go read my book, No Money Down, Business Buying Secrets. Let me just grab a quick copy. Okay. I'm wearing my shorts off because I've just been to the gym, as you know. I'm 75 hard. I'm doing all my, I'm doing all my stuff. So my book, My Zero Business Down, Business Buying Secrets. I think it's 30 pounds on Amazon, but I'll, we'll give you guys a $5 uh, discount link. Um, the reason, I, I, I'd happily give it away, but if you give stuff away, people won't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if they pay five dollars, um, they, uh, they'll, they'll definitely read it. So we'll give you a link. If they go to trainwithcarl.com um, forward slash mindset, so trainwithcarl.com mm-hmm. forward slash mindset, yep. they can um, they can get access to that book for five dollars. And then once you go through the book, um, you know, it recaps some of the things we've talked about before, but what I do is I break down the process of buying a business into 10 steps. So 10 different, you know, 10 things you need to do sequentially from mindset, deal specification, deal origination, meetings, financing structures, uh, due diligence, legals, and closing, all that stuff. I break it down in the book. So you get a really good kind of high level overview of, of what's involved. Then once you've read the book, you're either going to say, you know what, great book, but I don't want to do this, um, then fine. If you think, you, you know what, this is something that's really interesting, then we have a whole range of, of courses and training videos and mentoring programs um, like our academy where, you know, you, you work through the training, you, you working on a deal, you send it in and my, my team and I every single Thursday we break down all of those deals and, and we tell you, you know, what we would do to close them or, or whether, um, whether we think you're wasting your time, all that stuff. So uh, in terms of success stories, man, there's been, uh, there's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I, I think my, my, my two favorites probably are, um, so, so Coast On, I don't know if you know Coast On. So yeah, I'm going to interview with Coast On, that is on the YouTube channel as well. So we oh, is it? Yeah. So he's, he's amazing. Um, he, um, I remember he was one of the first people to ever come into the program. And I remember having a call with him. Uh, I, I met him actually not too long after he joined the program. I was in London and uh, he, he was following me on Facebook and he's like, Hey, I see you're in London. Can, can we grab a coffee? So I had a coffee with him and you know, the guy was really hungry. He really wanted to do deals. He wanted to just, it wasn't about money for him. It was about building an amazing life for his family. Um, and you know he's gone on and and done five deals. Um, he took his family to uh, an African uh, resort, um, and his wife and kids were like, "Oh wow, we love this place." So he negotiated <laughs> in that trip to buy it, no money down from the owner. Well, wow. and now, man, the guy's on fire. He's in uh, he's in Africa, um, negotiating a deal which it will put this way, it'll be bigger than any deal I've ever done individually. So when, um, you know, when, when you, when you teach somebody your life's work and they go on to do just truly amazing things that even eclipse your own success, mm-hmm. that for me is one of the most proudest feelings uh, to see people, you know, cause he's younger than me and, mm-hmm you know, he's hungrier than me and he's, he's on fire. So that's a great story. Uh, another story was, um, he, I think he was one of the first five people to join the program. He was an optician uh, based in the Northwest and he wanted to buy the optical business that he worked for from the owner. So he did, um, took the course, went through the training, raised the financing, bought this optical business. Um, and then this was back in the day when, you know, I didn't have a lot of these clients and you know, I can't do this today. I got 5,500 people, but back in the day when I had like 10, um, I, they could message me or, you know, I'd, I'd have a call with them. So I had a quick call with him. He said, right, done this deal. Um, what's next? I said, well, go buy another one. So we did. And then another one. So we did. Now he owns 73. Last time I spoke wow. to him, it's probably more than that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's built this multi, multi-million pound optical empire through doing acquisitions. Um, so it, it, it's Graham, you know, Chris Matthews, my, who's now a really good friend of mine, um, he came into the program and he, he was a really huge big guy. He was like, um, he, he was like a 25 stone man. 
Um, so if, if you're listening in the US, probably 400 pounds in weight, big guy. And he went to a clinic to do a weight loss program where they use, um, I don't know, I don't know the process, but it's a non-invasive where they, they put this thing on you and it basically melts away the fat inside your body. You eat all the special food and then they tighten your skin. So this guy went from 25 stone to 13 stone or something like that in about a year, totally transformed his life and his confidence. Uh, so he went and bought the clinic and now he's bought six more and now he's bought the master franchise all. Um, so yeah, I, I could talk all day about people, <laughs> yeah. of, 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 you know, for different reasons of, of just really, you know, just really nailed this and, and have really kind of transformed, you know, what they're doing. I, I've had students sell furniture to afford the tuition. And it's, as you know, it's not really expensive. It's a couple of thousand mm -hmm. uh, to join the program. And the people have sold furniture to afford it. And then right. those, those people, they're so hungry, obviously, to make it work. And now they are million pound businesses. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's good. It's good to see. Brilliant. Excellent. So kind of first, well, lastly, a very big thank you for doing this. This in You're welcome, my friend. Anytime. Um, and, and just for everyone else, so we will drop a link below so you can get more information about the book and about the other courses. I would highly recommend them because I've been on these courses myself. Um, and as most of you will know, I'm on my own journey. Uh, and, and this course was one of the greatest investments I made in terms of my own self-esteem and personal development. So I would highly recommend it. We will drop the link below. Um, and that's all for this episode. We will see you another time. Take care now and bye-bye. Thanks. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot if you would please rate and write a review. Please also subscribe so you get notified anytime a new episode drops. Thank you for tuning in. Now go out and attack your Minotaur.